And he's like, holy cow, Eddie, thank you for texting me. You said you were going to call me back within a few hours. And you called me back within a few hours. He's like, everyone else that I've dealt with in all of my commercial real estate experience, nobody does that. And I'm like, well, I was trained at the Ritz-Carlton. That's what I like to do. That's how I try to operate. Every once in a while, things fall through the cracks. But it's like, we as a community just need to be on the ball and provide that excellent customer service. Welcome to our podcast. It's so awkward that we're not in the tub this particular time. We're in our individual studios, Colorado, Florida, and Arizona, here to talk to you about commercial real estate and business. Is that the intro? That is a damn good intro. That's a damn good intro. Do you want to just use that first one or do you want me to go again? No, that's perfect. Cool. And then maybe you could introduce us both, like how you met me and how you, I did bring this. This is from the Ritz Carlton in Lake Tahoe because I think you saw me knitting and came over to talk to me. That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, you, you tell the story how we originally met. Tell it right now and then we'll yeah, so, chop it up. Yeah, we can chop it up. So uh, I decided to go out to the Commercial Real Estate Influencers uh, Summit. I was on the different lists and thought it would be great to like learn. Did not really know any of the people other than like online, but like I decided to be myself and just go out there. And one of the things I love to do anytime I don't have my two kids is like, if I'm on a plane or whatever, I like to knit. So I was like just knitting by the fire. He came over to talk to me. And then we ended up having several other conversations over over that weekend. And then and then the next commercial real estate influencer summit in New Orleans, we got even closer. And then by this year, like he's helping me with my luggage, like out to my car in Orlando and all the different things. And we text and we Insta message and he's done, we've done other collabs and it's just awesome. Like, it's because, I mean, you know, he does the, you know, Eddie does the same type of commercial real estate as I do, families and businesses, but in Arizona, it's like we're twins. <laughs> All three of us, we're triplets. Oh, yeah. Yes. Viva, do you remember how you and yeah. I met? I don't, I mean, I have a idea of how we met. I think it was on the Tiki Talkie. It was definitely on TikTok. I definitely met. You and Kyle on TikTok, you two were like my intro to brokers who use the internet to talk about our industry. And I think maybe I was talking to Kyle and he was like, you got to meet Eddie, but I don't remember now. That sounds right. Mm. Yeah. And then we kind of like hit it off immediately. And then we had our text strings, which is always fun. And then we made some videos together, which is always fun. But we didn't actually get to meet each other until this year in person, which is crazy. But yeah. it felt like I already knew you. That's the way it should be. Yeah. It's oh, awesome. We love our little community. And, and uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, so. it's cool, too, is like you really know someone. What, I, what strikes me about you both is I, I like it when people are real on social media. Like, you know, there's some people that put out what they think they want people to see of them on social media, but you are the real deal. Like, I'm the real deal. I don't like, like, I'm not trying to pretend my life is perfect. Sometimes it's a mess. And I think like, I think it's important to put that out there because, I mean, otherwise you feel inadequate, like in this Pinterest perfect world. 
that, you know, I don't always have my shit together. Look, the reality is that nobody's perfect. And I think we shifted from this world where maybe five years ago, uh, the expectation was like a perfect Instagram feed. And I don't know if anybody, I am sure some people liked it, but when we felt that switch from like these perfectly curated feeds to like like short form content and reality, a lot of, I think it took the authentic folks and really gave them the platform that we've been looking for where we can actually connect with other people, provide people value. And it's not just this like sexy, selfish magazine that nobody really, I, I don't even really know who enjoyed consuming that. I, I, And I think that authenticity comes through so much stronger when you're just yourself. And I think people can relate to you a lot better and actually mm-hmm. get value from you. And there's some hope in the world with authentic social media. I, I love it. That's the one thing with commercial, uh, this commercial real estate summit. Then I had my podcast and that this will go out to, but then connecting with other like-minded authentic people to kind of talk about how to like maintain that, that mindset, because there are times sometimes I do start to briefly think like, what would I think someone's going to think about what I'm going to wear. And then I'm like, don't do that. Don't just be yourself. Don't, don't give a shit. Like, and just, just do, do your thing. Be the best version of yourself. One of my clients says, Amy, you're crazy, but good crazy. And I'm just happy to have you as my broker. That's awesome. I'm going to be super authentic right now. Cause I'm running two pages. Yeah. I'm running my page and I'm running the company page. And I got to tell you, yeah. it is so in my head right now because my other business partners are not into what we do and what mm-hmm. they're willing to share and what they're not willing to share is like you talking about what can I post versus what shouldn't I post and what are people thinking? Like my creativity is in the dumps on that page because it's like, uh, I feel like I'm working for CBRE a little bit. Seriously. Whoa. So let's workshop. This. Let's get right? you out of that funk. No, dude, it's tough. Because I yeah. just came like, out of the funk. Yeah, I, I really just, um, I'm normally just go, you know what I mean? Throw a tie on, throw on a swimming suit and get in there and do it. But now there's this, there's this professional image side of it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm the right person for this because that is not my authentic self. That's what I'm battling with right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you have a separate, Aviva, do you have a separate Instagram for the warehouse hotline? No, and every day I think about the fact that I need to pull the trigger and get it going. But Eddie, fundamentally, when you are marketing, if you do what everybody else does, you will never stand out. So as a brokerage, if these brokers are expecting just sold, just leased, like all this run-of-the-mill content you will never stand out. And the point of marketing, the point of media, the point of social media is to effectively market. If you're doing what everybody else is doing, you can't effectively market. Something I've been thinking of is like, 
because we do have to dance the line of confidentiality, which is hard and fun and yeah, a challenge. But I was thinking of doing like tenant spotlights or like client spotlights. I have been thinking a lot about ways that we can advertise in our business that first off, help our clients, mm-hmm. right? Let's gas each other up for the success that we've done. And I think in the retail space, that's probably some of the more fun and glamorous stuff. Mm-hmm. So how can we do that and be different, right? Like my eyes roll so far in the back of my head when I see a just least post. It was like, what in the world is the point of that? But like, imagine yeah. getting your clients on a 5, 10, 20 minute podcast after the lease is signed or the deal is done and walking into their new space or talking about the deal because it is challenging. See, I love talking about the why. Like when there used to be the Susie Orman show back in the day and she always said people first, then money. That's kind of like my philosophy to commercial real estate is it's always the people and what's the lifestyle, like what's their goal. And then the property is a tool for them to like reach their goals. And so when I do close a deal, I like to tell the story of like, what is it that we accomplished? And I told Aviva the story of one I I closed just a couple of weeks ago and the doctor was fine with me putting all out there that I got, you know, part of his spaces, but he had three vacancies all of a sudden happened at the same time within his two 12,000 square foot commercial condos. And another brokerage just did not get the marketing done correctly. It had been sitting there, eventually pivoted to me. But at that point, he had been having like, you know, $20,000 a month go out the door, you know, for, for these spaces and no rental income coming in. And he was ready to just like liquidate and sell. And then I reminded him of how hard it is to acquire commercial real estate And that wasn't easy for him to find that property in that great location and like to just give me a chance. Like it usually will take six months or so to get something leased up, but I'm going to push to get get this done in like three to four months. And I got it done in four months. And, you know, so we got the first one in and then we can get all the other ones. But I I shared that entire story on social media. And like, I think it really resonates with people. I wonder if people sometimes, and and this isn't going to be within your brokerage, Eddie, but like, do brokers really want to share because did they really do much above and beyond? I mean, was there anything really special there? If you don't have anything special to share, then maybe there aren't any stories to share. Yeah, I think it's not that. I think it's more that I've been doing this for five years now and being in front of the camera during any circumstance is not awkward to me, but trying to get Uh, them to be in front of the camera seems to be the challenging part. But what's funny about it, so I reached out to almost all of our followers because there's only a couple hundred of them on Instagram saying, what do you guys want to see from us? Everyone wants to see behind the scenes. Just like, what do you guys do? Like, what's a, what's a cold call look like? What's an average day look like? And that's like, for me, that's the easiest thing that could be done because you just go, right? And I think for them, they feel like they're on stage now, which they've never been on stage before. So it's like, uh, what do we do? Just do what you do. Yeah. 
that's where that authentic part comes in, right? So, I- yeah, I had when I had a bigger team of agents, and now I pivoted. Is like I would just say, take a picture of your desk and your coffee cup. Like what I texted you guys. I texted you like I'm sitting there like eating my salmon. Like like uh, that would be something that literally could. I'd be fine putting that on my Instagram page. Like here I am fueling, you know, in between appointments. Smart. So like, but I don't know why others don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't know either, but I think I might be overthinking it. <laughs> what do you think about that, Aviva? First off, I apologize. My internet's a little, little crappy right now. So that's always a party, but I think, look, I recently went through a social media slump. And I realized it was, I was selling a course and I realized I hated selling the course and it made me not want to post on social media at all. And Mm. when I killed the course, I finally felt like this weight lifted off my chest. uh, And I finally felt that like joie de vivre to post again on social media. So, you know, Eddie, I think you clearly have a block and I would have a block too if I was trying to run social media for a brokerage who wasn't picking up what I was putting down. I think you kind of have to do some work on yourself to figure out what is your social media block and then how can you break it down so you can just be yourself again. And maybe that is just being yourself. It, I, I don't know the answer, but... I want to ask you all a question that relates to commercial real estate. When do you say no to a transaction or when do you know when to say no? Because I struggle with that. And I'm curious, Eddie, thank you for raising your hand. (laughs) I ask very hard questions up front and generally speaking, and I did not do this in the past. This is something that I started within the last year or so because I found myself spending a lot of time, wasting a lot of time. So I know whether or not I'm a fit for that person within the first conversation, maybe the second conversation, I'll shake everything out. But it's talking about money, it's talking about partnerships, it's talking about all the stuff that the landlord is going to ask that's really uncomfortable to talk about. So I know almost immediately whether or not, A, I can help them, and B, whether or not we're going to be a good fit. I have the same same process. We I call it BANT, and Eddie and I have talked about it before. So B-A-N-T, B is budget. So show me the money, like the Jerry Maguire like movie. Like how much money do you have? Like how is this going to work? And then is their budget even realistic? Does it fit within the rent to revenue ratio? You know, all those different things. Actually, I got a call from someone I hadn't heard from a long time. Oh, and then authority, which is like partnerships, how this is all structured, needs. uh, And then timeline. Is their timeline like uh, aligned with my schedule? And then I can prioritize them. So, but like, yeah, I got a lead this morning and like he's thinking that he can get a warehouse for like $1,500 a month and that's not going to happen. Like the cheapest one you're going to find is like $2,500 a month, even on the outskirts. But right now, personally, because of my children and my family life, I'm more focused just on my core area than the rest of it. I either give to one of my agents or like refer out. So right off the bat, like I can't help him. And so I have on my calendar after this, I have to reach out to the referral source and say, 
thank you so much. Still contact me for each deal, but this is not something I can help with. And I'll give her the specific feedback too, that it's just the budget is unrealistic. But I think the more you say no, the more that you're able to say yes to, to other things. Is that something that you're struggling with wow. right now, Aviva? I think, unfortunately, money is probably the biggest one. Like, I know you want to buy a property, but if you don't have any money, we're wasting everybody's time. It's And then I, I, I think another aspect is just being practical. It's just like you're saying, like the person who wants a warehouse for $1,500, first, those don't exist. Second, I'm not going to make any money on this deal. Therefore, my response is, this is outside of the capabilities of our brokerage, but we're happy to refer you to someone who's willing to dig it up for you. Yeah. So, but I struggle with that every day and it's well, a that's because you're, you're using Google, right? So you get so many inbound leads that I'm guessing you're having that conversation a lot. Yeah, I get a bunch of inbound leads. And one thing I will talk about too, when she comes back is basically as commercial real estate brokerage owners is we have two funnels. One is we're trying to get all of our clients and then we create a marketing funnel too for our listings. When I break down the profitability, number one, I make the most on selling a building, but sometimes that's not in the client's best interest. So I'm not going to recommend it when it doesn't. But then secondly, when I actually have something for lease, um, I don't necessarily always make good money on the landlord side by the time you paid for the sign and the photos and all that kind of stuff. But if I pick up a tenant, those tenants are so sticky. They're out there looking and then you just grab them up and those ones we had last year, we had two $25,000 ones. Yeah. So off a of sign, I mean, that, that, that's good. That's, I call that deer. There's squirrels, deers, and elephants. That's funny. I've never thought about it that way. You know, I like to defend the brokerage community, but I'm working with two clients right now and I'm working with them because other brokers wouldn't give them the time of day. And literally yeah. one of the deals, we're going into the same space. And I told the broker, I'm like, hey, listen, they called you five times. You didn't respond. I've showed them other spaces. You never showed them the space. They still like the space and they want the space. And we're at least right now. And it's like, bro, like all you had to do was call these people back ask them the hard questions. They have the money, they have the experience. It's just, you look at some of these smaller deals and he forwent his double-end deal because he didn't call somebody back. So I, I feel like it's just silly. And I had another guy, I'm not working with him yet, but he owns a building. And he's like, holy cow, Eddie, thank you for texting me. You said you were gonna call me back within a few hours. And you called me back within a few hours. He's like, everyone else that I've dealt with in all of my commercial real estate experience, nobody does that. And I'm like, well, I was trained at the Ritz-Carlton. That's what I like to do. That's how I try to operate. Every once in a while, things fall through the cracks. But it's like, we as a community just need to be on the ball and provide that excellent customer service. Ooh, that's interesting. I wonder to myself... Some of the brokers, not all the brokers, 
were handed their commercial real estate business. Like we have a lot of generational mm-hmm. and and Aviva and I were talking about it in getting ready for like today's podcast is, you know, she's had to kind of like work to make everything like happen. And you have that work ethic. I don't want to say that there's this superiority, but I don't know if there's like a better word that maybe they don't understand where these small business owners are coming from and like how it means like everything to them. Like I know when I'm going through a business decision, it's in my mind. I sometimes wake up and think I've had like a full work day, like in my head when I wake up. And so I totally get that. Yeah. We should talk a little bit about that, but I I wonder if it's like the empathy and they just don't have that perspective. It's funny that you mentioned that. So I've got a friend that's in San Diego. His name's Jamal Brown. And he left one of the big firms to start his own firm. And he was actually talking about that conversation with his clients, having that empathy because you're running your own business. You kind of know what they're going through, like those ebbs and flows and all those feelings and everything that comes along with it versus, like you said, another broker that's just handed deals all day long. It's it's different. Uh, and it, I, I find too, it, and it's not all of them. Again, there's some really good, good brokers that are at the big three and other brokerages. I'm not going to say that there aren't, but sometimes it's just a, a high, t- high dollar ticket salesperson. And it's like, it's like the person that's, it, that's selling the insurance like that. And they are putting people in universal life insurance, which according to Susie Orman is like the worst kind of insurance you can get into. But like some of these and then they only want to do it if it's going to be like really like lucrative and like have a minimum. For me, I don't necessarily have like a minimum. Like for instance, that the the guy I just talked about that had like a smaller deal on the out, if he had maybe multiple companies and this was like one of many companies and then there was a way to like maybe grow with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm doing one of those so, right now. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm in the midst of one of those right now. It's not a lucrative deal. It's a relationship building deal. Yeah. Hey, Aviva. But yeah, it takes. Hey, guys, what's up? Hello. Thank you for your patience with me. You're good. We're good. We were, you know, we were having the conversation. We're trying to figure out why it is that some clients have to call other brokers like five times. And then so then they decide to go on Google or social media and then they find us and then we actually call them back. I don't know, but I love brokers who don't call their clients back because (laughs) those are my clients and I call them back. You know, I have so many people who are like, we don't want to work with the big brokerages. You know, they've been burned before. Mm -hmm. They want that concierge. They want to be treated like a human and not a cow in a slaughterhouse. And I can provide that for them, make a living. And... Uh, they keep coming back. And, you know, Eddie, I didn't know you used to work at the Ritz-Carlton. See, um, I've been working since 13. My first business was cleaning houses. I made a lot of money doing that. And then I also did newspapers. Like I stuffed inserts into the newspapers at night. Then I, my first W-2 was working at Perkins. And I made hella money working at Perkins. Like all my customers love me. And then when I graduated from high school, they all brought me like checks I was able to buy a car. That's awesome. (laughs) That's so interesting. So I started working really young too. My dad was an engineer. He got laid off from his job at Honeywell, 
had to start a landscaping business because he didn't know what else to do. But he's like, I know how to mow yards. And I got hired as a nine-year-old to help him on the weekends. And that's kind of where I got my work ethic is 6 a.m. every Saturday and Sunday. Get to go to work with dad. Damn. Yeah. The stuffing, the inserts was actually at like midnight. Mm. And then we would start like as soon as the, the paper would get printed and like dropped, I would be in the back of like the van rolling around, like stuffing the inserts and then throwing it to the front of the van as we're like driving through the hundreds of houses to throw the paper in the driveway. That's amazing. Oh, the first few times I lost my cookies, but uh, then eventually I got used to it. <laughs> wow. Aviva, what was your... I, I got my start. Uh, yeah. Uh, as a... My true first job was when I was 18. Working. And I worked in the food hall at my college for $7.25 an hour. And then I was a waitress for like, I guess I was 18 till maybe 25. Oh. I, I would... I'll be honest. I grew up with a silver spoon shoved in my mouth. But my parents always told me that I was never going to amount to anything because I had everything. And that gave me this fire that that was not ever going to happen. And so I, I appreciate that because I love working. I love what we do. And I, I really empathize with people who don't love what they do and don't love working because it's so fun to wake up every day and just put one foot in front of the next, even when it's not glamorous. I was listening to another podcast, this guy named Patrick David. And it was funny because they were mentioning uh, some service experiences that they had. And one of the guys on the podcast said, any person that is in service, their very next job should be in sales. Because you do, you have those tendencies, you know how to take care of people. I, I think he actually said, if you were a good server, you should go into sales. But it's like those two mesh so well together. And I, they do, especially. I loved testing it. I noticed that like, I could not mess with tables, but I learned when I was serving that there were ways that I could say things that would get them to do something that I, right? Like mm -hmm. we would have a special and we would have competitions for who could sell the most of the specials. Yes, I, we had competitions at Perkins too. <laughs> I remember, yes. And I just totally got off on figuring out how to sell better than everybody else. And it was like, it was just funny to figure out your whatever worked and then like triple down on it and just run laps around the other servers. It was pretty... I loved it. <laughs> I got to hostess some um, and we were selling these uh, calendars for Give Kids the World. And, you know, if I sold the most amount of calendars, I would get like some kind of bonus like as well. Like, you know, do it, you know, but it was doing good. The money was going to go to Give Kids the World. It was a great foundation. I found the page in the in the uh, calendar that had been drawn by a kid using a straw. Like they went and like blew the straw and made this straw art. So I'm just like, do you want to help? Like this, this kid had no arms and they did this painting using like a straw. <laughs> so the most amount. So awesome. I just, I bet you figure out the one thing. And then, you know, one of my best clients comes because I have a service background. Um, I started getting my hair done at Mosaic Hair Studio and Blowout Bar 
back in 2011 and they were in their first location. That was their first building. Now they have uh, four properties and we're actually developing this like 15,000 square foot thing. But I've been along the journey. But sometimes because I was so busy with work, he'd come in early for me. And he like, I found out like Mike, my at Mosaic does not like to come in early. So I found out how he liked to take his coffee. And if he came in early for me to like accommodate me working and all this other stuff that I knew that he liked his coffee with cream and no sugar. And I would bring him a coffee and like, I know he's the one providing a service to me, but like when I go to the car dealership too, like if they do a really good job, I'll bring a dozen donuts to the, to the crew. And let me tell you what, like I can get in anywhere easily and they're like can you give people like courses on how to be a good customer but it all turned around like eventually then mike wanted to buy he ended up buying the property next to him i was not his broker he did that direct but then he bought another property in 2018 and now we bought some land and now we're developing this whole condo project but it just came because people remember how you make them feel and a little goes a long way yeah yeah but just knowing how people like to take their coffee. <laughs> Let me ask you, what are your thoughts with closing gifts? I don't do it anymore. I felt I used to. And I, what I do is if I have an opportunity to do something that I feel is like meaningful, like um, I found out Bomba socks for every pair of socks that you bought people that you get another pair of socks. So one year for like Christmas, I sent out like a hundred pairs of socks. I still get texts from people. This was 2016, this seven years ago. People, and I was like, I know you're not supposed to give socks as a gift. And that was my closure letter with it. And like, but I'm going to anyways. And I still get messages from people seven years later saying they love the socks. So I think if you're going to do a gift for somebody, make sure it's like meaningful or maybe take them out to eat or make a donation to their charity. What I've started doing um, oh, or, or a really cool book, like New York Times has 36 hours in different cities. And they also a cool book is Atlas Obscura. So I'll sometimes give people a book and like that has to do with traveling. And I said, I'm so glad to have been a part of your commercial real estate journey. And I'll write it and I'll put like a beyond commercial circle sticker inside of it. So then it's there forever. Those are some of the gifts I do. But I used to do like wine baskets and stuff. But Nobody remembered it. I think the experience part is important. Like I, I even started doing that with my two nephews and niece, the experience versus the stuff. Like for Christmas, we don't do toys and I feel the same way. And actually my mentor was the one that mentioned it. I'm like, early on, are we supposed to like buy them something? Like, what do we do? Like, no, we're taking them out to lunch or we're taking them out to dinner. Really nice dinner. And go that route versus, you know what I mean? You might know them well and you can buy them stuff, but I feel like the buy, if you're going to buy somebody something cool, it's funny. So Blake Haggett, I really want a Bentley. That's kind of one of my goals. And ben, and uh, Blake Haggett from Idaho, one of our friends, he sent me a little model of a Bentley and it's sitting right across from my desk right now. I think those type of things are like really cool for like surprise and delight, but like closing experience. Yeah. I tell my friends and my friends get to know this is like, if we're really, really friends, just please don't get me anything. 
for like my birthdays or Christmas or, or anything like that. Like, I just want to spend time with you. Like I want to do things with you. And, and then I think about it. Like, you know, if I run across something like my best friend, I got her these wine glasses that says, uh, we're, we're going to be friends until we're old. And then we're going to be new friends again, because like, you know, you're not going to remember, like you're going to go senile or something. And so like, whenever I go to her house, we put both of the glasses there and then we both drink wine out of it when I go to her house. But I don't know. What do you think about that, Aviva? Oh, I'm, I'm toggling with it because like a lot of the leads I'll get will be from Google and then we'll close a deal and I will not know anything about this person. Yep. And we have a lovely relationship. They live in a different state. And it's like, I don't know what to get these people. You know, I've done the Harry and David baskets. And I just feel like, it's just like you said, like people just don't care. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe somebody I know, like I placed a, a thrift store with a client who I have worked with a ton and I got her this custom sign for the store and she loved it. But my issue is these people I don't know who I want to give or I don't, I don't understand if we're, I don't understand why we do it. If we're supposed to do it, if they expect it, if they care, but just, and it, I've just been thinking about it a lot and I don't know the answer. If you're going to do something and these are business owners, I would say do a book. Like if you want to mail them something and yeah. you don't know them very well, like, um, Shout out to Dr. Benjamin Hardy with 10X is easier than 2X. I mean, he sent me a couple boxes of his books and I've mailed them out with handwritten letters and uh, people love that. And then you could write your information like in it so then they can think about you potentially when they do it and you left like a memento. One thing to pay attention to, too, is like I think the problem is, is if you give people wine, some people don't drink. So then it's like offensive. I actually have in my Salesforce CRM, I figure out if they want, I have a toggle down red wine, white wine. As I learn information about people, I create a dossier, kind of like when you go to the hair salon, they know your hair formulas, but I can go red wine, white wine. And then also I can check if it's non-drinker. And so if I do want to eventually, let's just say I'm closing like the third, fourth deal with somebody. I know right away, I can look at their profile and I have an attorney I represent. I know he's very active. He loves going in the outdoors. And um, I've learned that he's a non-drinker. And like, I just, it's like red alert. Make sure like, if you are going to do something, don't do uh, a, don't do a wine basket. So I found, I got him a reusable bag from REI and, and put a gift card inside of it. And he loved that. So the next time he went like hiking, he was able to get some new stuff. So I don't know, just try to ask questions and try to pick up the different nuggets. I know you're like meeting them from Google, but hopefully they'll come back to you again. And then, um, because you just are finishing your second year with the warehouse hotline. It's like last year was like a full year and then this year. Yeah, exactly. These people are going to come back. Like, yeah. And And they are. And I'm like, I want, but I want to give them a gift. But they're still coming back. I don't know what to get them, but I like the idea of a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, I've just, I, I'm thinking about it a lot. <laughs> I think you just, I think the gift is, is like you give a shit and you've done a really good job for them. And like they wouldn't have gotten that otherwise. And so then if you do eventually get them something, that's great. But you know, I don't want to make it, it almost makes it sound conceited, but it's not like 
you worked really hard and you did a really good job for them and you got them into a great space. It's just a, it's a strange expectation to like, and I don't think a lot of our clients actually do expect it a, a gift, right? Like I don't go to the dentist, get a root canal and they give me a gift, you know? So I just think it's a, I just have been thinking about it a lot. And I think socially it's weird. And, but if it's expected, I mean, I'm all in, but it's kind of like you said, like this year I've kind of pulled back on the gifts because I kind of felt like people didn't care about the Harry and David baskets. And my clients have been repeat clients just this year without the Harry and David. And I'm like, oh, you're right, Amy. Like they just want to be treated like a human. They just want proper service. That's a that's way bigger than a gift than some other than a Godiva chocolate basket, even though I'll smash a Godiva chocolate basket any day. Uh, yeah. And definitely don't get somebody branded. I had a, a vendor of mine who shall remain nameless, but they sent me like a cheese board thing and it came with some jellies and stuff, but it like had their logo on it. And like, I don't know, like kind of calling out the thing. I don't know. What do you think, Ed, Eddie? Do you think that's kind of tacky? No, I actually like the branding no? play. I do. You like the I branding like, play? Well, okay. everybody's saying so far that they love our logo. So what... Oh, yeah, I do love your logo. So, and like, side note, quick story. I was hiking the other day. A random stranger came up to me and said, I see your logo everywhere. And I'm like, hey, what's your name? And she tells me, and we go back and forth, and I'm like, are you in commercial real estate? And she's like, no, I don't know anything about commercial real estate. And she's like, but I see your sign, and then I see your hat, and then I saw something at the gym the other day. So, like, I'm giving out stuff like that. And one of our one of our things that we're working on right now is a really nice Yeti. You know how everybody has those metal water bottles now? So we're getting some of yeah. those branded and giving those out to clients. Well, Maybe. I think- yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. It's probably good. I mean, it- yeah. I mean, because I give people pens and they like having them at the closing. What was I going to say? Oh, so Aviva. Like, yeah. So as you grow and you have your logo and your stuff out there, I remember there's this broker that he consistently closes 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. He's actually a, a like a so, like a solo or practically. And he just, and he owns his own portfolio of like, I don't know how many properties, but I met him at this party at Bay Hill for like the golf course. And these parties are like, so good. And like, we're drinking margaritas in the backyard, like watching like Tiger Woods, like out there hitting or whatever. And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Amy Kellinger. And I was like, I don't know who you are. And he's like, what? You're in commercial real estate too? And I'm like, yeah, I'm with Beyond Commercial. And he's like, well, I don't know who the fuck you are, but I know who Beyond Commercial is. <laughs> I was like, this was like five years ago. So it's so good to have a good brand. Like I was wow. like, yeah, that's exactly what he told me. Oh, since then I've done actually Mike, the hairdresser I was talking about because I got to know him, the the guy that I told you I met at Bay Hill. He had competing offers for the same amount and he took our offer over the other people. He's, just, he's like, I like you, Amy. <laughs> so... <laughs> So even like other brokers, I think it pays to treat them like a human, not, not be fake, but you know, just try to be nice and kind to people. It, it comes back. I learned that. Speaking about. Oh yeah. Go you Aviva. go first. Aviva. Guys, 
I just have to bring this up because it's so crazy and it happened to me yesterday. Speaking about being nice and kind and treating people correctly. LoopNet, I don't know if you've heard of them, reached out to me to collab on some content creation. And I was like, okay, I know who you are. The you know, it fits. And yesterday I hopped on a call with them. They want <laughs> they wanted me to do content for them uh, in exchange for exposure. And I was like, do you understand how much money I spend a month on LoopNet? Like I pay that bill and you want me to work for you for free? And what was funny was the person pitching it to me, she, she couldn't even, like she wasn't even trying to sell. Like it was such a bullshit offer that they were trying to give me exposure that the conversation was pretty quick. And I have toggled whether or not I'm going to talk about it online. But speaking of being treated properly, it's so crazy that a conglomerate like LoopNet would expect people to work for them for free when we're shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And I think I'm going to say it right now, CoStar and LoopNet will fall Some because their service is not good. It's all about... It's not about the customers. It's about mm -hmm. CoStar and LoopNet and padding their pockets. And I look forward to that day. Tell Adrian I, I was, I'll talk about it online. They they recently fucked me over. So, uh, and I have not talked about this online, but I will go ahead and say what happened is I have had an agreement in place with them that I could toggle up and down the number of my users as long as I maintain a minimum of three. And that was our agreement. They've always abided by that agreement. And so like if I, you know, added extra agents and needed to go down that I would be able to go toggle down to three. Well, earlier this year, my transaction coordinator left and my assistant forgot to cancel her. And then we added someone. So we forgot to take the one off and we could have just traded them out. So it was just, it was a, but we had the agreement that we could be, a minimum of three. And they said, no, nope, that doesn't count. It's not part of them an addendum. And I'm like, but you guys have been acting on this forever. So they've been basically holding me hostage. I've been having to pay for a fourth license that I haven't been using now for like months and months and months now. But yeah, I'm going to definitely go down to the bare minimum of users next year. And and I find it it's atrocious, too. They only have the one product now and not multiple products. But it's just terrible. And so I'm just spending money on this fourth user that I could be using for different things. Have you guys played with Crexy yet? Aviva. Oh, Aviva's frozen. She's so shocked. <laughs> she is shocked. I'm back. Tell me when we're back. Um, oh, I can hear you, but you're still frozen. I, I Aviva, just you bought Crexy this week. Did you really? I bought I've got my training week. with them tomorrow yeah. at 10 a.m. I think I have a training with them tomorrow at like 11. That's so funny. Actually, I just launched a new listing and I have been getting a million like leads from like Crexy. I cannot get that listing syndicated over to LoopNet and nobody will call my assistant back either. So no, I agree with you, Aviva. It will eventually. <laughs> I, I think that they could do better. You're frozen. Too Eva. big to fail, okay. right? Okay, I'm here. And that's Eva, just I not reality. Like, I know. I'm going to take a picture of this. Oh, God. 
Uh, well, hey, <laughs> you can't treat people like garbage. And you can't in business, period. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how small you are. Your reputation precedes you. And you are not bulletproof, even if you are the top of your industry. And the internet is going to lead the way. When it, yeah, well, I don't know what point I was making there, but it's it's November 2023, and I'm calling it CoStar will not always be the top source for commercial real estate intel online, and I look forward to that day. I think the last time that someone else tried coming up was Excelligent, and I had a contract with them back in 2007, and CoStar sued them like crazy, and they eventually did end up like falling. But no, I, I think it just caused a huge amount of indigestion for me to like spend the extra hundreds of dollars for that fourth license. And and I was getting no value and they didn't care. And I had emails and even the rep that had the agreement with me went to bat for me, but they just said their policies were that they weren't going to do it. And I just thought I, it just was really shitty. It was very shitty. So you guys yeah. want to hear a fun story? They're going like, to love this uh, like segment. A, like, aha. They are going to love this Go segment. Ahead, Do you want to hear a fun story? Yeah. Aviva, raise yes. your hand if you want to hear a fun story. <laughs> I know. She's like frozen. I got to send her what it looks like. I, I, she might. I think it will be okay. It will be okay in the wash. It's just not going to be the yeah. most, the, my glamour moment. It will, come, it will out. come out. It's just stuck. Okay. So we've, for some reason, and tell me if this is the same on your guys' end. The, it's a revolving door over there. Like we always have new reps every three to six months. <gasps> it's a new rep. So we had this kid that calls and he was very sassy. And he goes, uh, I need to talk to you about this particular building. And I said, okay. And he said, how many units? So we went through the whole program and he said, what's the cap rate? And I said, it's a vacant building. And he said, I understand oh, no. you already told me that. And I and he said, so what's <laughs> the cap rate? And I said, so-and-so, it's a vacant building, dude. And he's like, you're not understanding me. And I go, can I give you like some commercial real estate 101 real quick? And he goes, yes, <laughs> after you tell me the cap rate. And I'm like, bro, it's a vacant building. And he's just like... <laughs> You're like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Seriously. Oh, yeah. So at any rate, he was gone a couple weeks later. <laughs> yeah, well, end. unless you're one of the big three, uh, and I think you have to have like a threshold, You, it, it's almost like banking at the big banks. Like the all the small business bankers, it's a revolving door. It is very hard to be a small business owner. Like, you know, then you have to, unless you're with like a small uh, community bank, then those people tend to stay there and you have someone that like treats you well. But being a boutique brokerage owner, yeah, I have a constant revolving door of my researchers and I'm just not it, like they, they use the small accounts to train these people to kind of bring them up and they just like throw us brand new people that have no idea what they're doing. I recently hopped into the world of institutional deals where I had the rude awakening the rude that awakening. none of the big brokerages actually share the information yep. with CoStar. So 
they have no information on the bigger transactions, which is makes it kind of useless. But it's it's just been really eye-opening this year. And oh, I've got horror stories from CoStar that I won't say online. Uh I won't say on a podcast, but I'm I'm waiting to be impressed. I am yet to be impressed. Specifically for how expensive the product is. Well, I uh yeah, and, and I really appreciate like their their support of different organizations that I'm involved with, and I know it's not those people, but I think there is a systemic, it, you know, issue that needs to like be like addressed. And I think just because you're big doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want to do. Agreed. Yeah, I know they're kind of like everything I wouldn't do in business, which is ironic because I use them. But have my friends, I have, yeah. Oh yeah. I have like, I have to leave in 10 minutes. So Eddie, I want to tell you yes. this question I was talking to Amy about before we hopped on with you. And the question is, if you could buy any iconic commercial real estate property in the world, what would it be? And then the second part to that question is, if you could buy any iconic commercial real estate property in the world, what would it be and what would you do with it? Oh, man. Well, obviously, I'm sticking, I'm never leaving Phoenix. Phoenix is always going to be home base. <laughs> and there is a building. So it would be here in Phoenix. There's a building in downtown that even before I was in commercial real estate, I would literally just stop and look at it. You can Google it, it's called the Lures Building. And the most recent plan, it used to be an office building with retail at the base. The most recent plan for it is it's going to get turned into a hotel. What I would do with it is stick with somewhat of that plan, right? So it's already got the retail at the base. I would do hotel in the middle, and then I would take the top portion of it. And I would guess it's 130,000 square feet total. I would take that top part of it and turn that into my residence. <laughs> Power move. Power move. Amy, did what it, about you? Amy already? Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I I love like Orlando, but we're we're not we're not super mature and there like, you know, I can't say that there's anything that's super super sexy here. That I would be like, oh, I love that property. We have some cool warehouses once for lease right now. But I, I thought the Flatiron building in New York and then actually making it like the Continental, like in John Wick and making it so that there is actually a Continental. Yeah, that'd be cool. What about you, Aviva? Sick. Oh, okay. So like my- Have you guys seen all John Wicks, by the way? No. Oh my God. I've seen all four now. Like- and I've seen them all multiple times. It's like, wow, can you blow more people up? It's amazing. So go ahead. <laughs> you know, in line with what Eddie said, like I am such a Denver kid. I'm never leaving. I would love to buy or like Denver International Airport and turn it into just this like epic retail, essentially what it is without the airport element. Maybe like add sports yeah. or like fun experiential things. And then probably, okay, Eddie, yes. Eddie has a Thank question. you for raising your hand. 
Are you going to keep the alien as- aspect of it? Oh, hell yeah. Aliens can like, stay. Are, oh, yeah. Are you going to show us them? Because they they're under there. The, the airport already does play with it. It's actually very funny. There's been there's always construction in DIA, but there's signs everywhere being like, is it construction or is it a lizard tunnel? Like it's actually very funny. They they have fun with it. I don't think it really is. A, Do you have any aliens in Phoenix or just in Denver? Google the alien. Is, is, is an alien. I am an alien. It's true. Google the Phoenix lights. It'll blow your mind. I saw it with my own eyes. Hey, the weather's warm in Phoenix. I get it why the aliens would go down there. Hmm. I like that. I, so. I, we've, or, Orlando's kind of boring in that respect. So, yeah. That's, that's fair. <laughs> okay, my friends, this has been really fun. I really. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah. I ironically am going to a gun range with my co star rep, which is funny because I was just talking shit <laughs> about him. But this is this is what we do, what do here. You shoot? Um, well, my co-star rep's got some cool ARs, and I got a Glock, so just try to learn how to protect myself. Don't come after me. So I know that's yeah. kind of yeah, controversial. I got, I got my concealed. It's I the world we live in, and there's a shoot street right out the right down the road from me. Uh, what about you, Eddie? Uh, we don't have to do. Yeah, we don't have to get concealed permits anymore in Arizona. You can conceal without a permit. And I've got a couple handguns, a couple shotguns, a lot of my grandfather's old guns in my parents' Ooh, wow. house in a safe. But it, like, we've got some cool stuff. Yeah, I only have so, one. I got a few years ago. Yeah, cool. It's unfortunate. Right, to, that- you want to close it out, Eddie? Oh, good. Oh no, it's just that's the world we live in. We have to protect ourselves in this industry, in this world, and yeah, that's the that's oh speaking of protecting, one you know, let's let's share like a helpful thing. Does anybody have this app forewarn? Mm -hmm. No. So this is amazing. It's like 10 or 20 bucks a month. So let's just say let's put my phone number in here and then search. And uh, so then it shows all these people coming up and I don't mind pulling up myself. Uh, well, probably it's going to show my address, but I'll cover that up. But it shows like I have like a speeding ticket, like in yellow. That's the only <laughs> thing I have. But when you get a weird feeling about someone on the phone. Yeah, I haven't. It was like 2003. When you get a weird feeling about something. One time I had someone who had a attempted murder. And I've had other people. So I would say a tip is a. Uh, as a, if you have listings is one of, first of all, uh, Beth Azor says this, if you have a property, book your prospects back to back to back to back, like those that you're showing creates urgency also makes it a safer environment, back your car in. The other thing I would say to like do is yeah. If somebody's unrepresented, I used to ask them for their driver's license because I mean, you have to give a driver's license to drive a car. Yeah you know, test drive a car, why wouldn't, you know, I just tell them it's for insurance purposes, but now I have the Scorewarn app and I don't need it. But anyone unrepresented, I always use this app before going out. Smart. Wow. So, Interesting. Yeah. It's super smart. Yeah. So check it out. But so Eddie, do you want to close this out? You close. I got to open. All right. Thank you for everybody tuning in today and we'll catch you on the next time. 
This is Amy, Eddie, and Aviva signing off. Thank you all for listening. Thank you guys. We'll- we did so good. Woohoo!